Warning, the following contains depictions of adult themes, drug use, and wanton violence, sometimes flat-out war crimes. Listener discretion is advised. Jose as Jimmy Reigns, and Luke as Spike. And I am your guide, your host, your editor, and all those other things, Redstone, also known as Adam in these recordings. The story so far of Stoners of Fortune. We begin with Merrick the Unseen. A strange combination of both a healer, a medic, but also a sniper who has the ability to clothe themselves in darkness. He is being chased by a group of bounty hunters. He gets away from them a little bit, a little bit of a lead, and finds himself a ship and is breaking into it. We cut over to Jimmy Rings, an armored figure just covered in weapons, hoofing it away from a different group of bounty hunters. Also making his way, getting a little bit of a lead, and finding a ship and starts breaking into it. We see side by side the shot of both of them breaking into a ship, and the shot widens as we see it's the same ship, just on opposite sides. They break in and they make their way to the cockpit. They both arrive at the cockpit at the same time, where we find Spike asleep on the bridge. They awake him and in unison say, we need to leave. Fortunately for these two, Spike actually has no idea who he is, but he does know how to fly a ship, any ship. He grabs the controls and lifts off. This awakes the fourth member of the crew who is asleep in the cargo bay. The man who's asleep is Solrock the Seer whose mentor spirit haunts him through the presence. The seer awakens on a pile of space weed. He moves his way up to the front of the ship as the ship, the Nimbus, begins to take fire as the two bounty hunter groups converge on the ship, each following their own quarry. To make a long story short, they blow their way out of it all and jumped into hyperspace just in time. Unsure of where to go, they ask advice of the ghostly mentor, Nas, who who tells the seer he must get his ass to Dagobah. Unfortunately, Merrick, takes, who takes control of the navigation system, is in too much haste to do the jump, and instead of typing Dagobah, ends up directing them to a bodega. The bodega in question is Mr. E's Bodega Bar and Grill, 
which upon first seeing this, it, it's actually only a jump away. And they jump into a space with a giant flashing neon sign saying, Mr. E's Bodega Bar and Grill with a giant arrow pointing at what appears to be a fuzzy sphere. The ship is directed on its own to actually what appears to be like a break in the the shell of this sphere. The sphere, it's the size of a uh, smaller space station, and the, the edge of it, generally speaking, is incredibly fuzzy, and uh, it's unable to see where where the where this object actually begins and ends, except on the place where it appears to be broken in through, which the arrows point at this break. And then they can see that the where where it is broken, you can see very sharp lines of where things exist and stop existing. Over the hole is a an energy field, keeping whatever's inside from coming out or vice versa. And the flashing lights point towards that hole, which the ship is being led to. And then glowing on occasion, uh, pop up a pair of hands that appear to be pulling the opening apart. So they enter the shell and the, the ship is guided on autopilot and directed to a spot, Sierra 117. So as they enter the sphere, they actually, it, it appears that the inside of the sphere is much larger than it would appear on the outside. And there are just rows and rows and rows of spaceship parking spaces that are all labeled on the inside of the shell. So when parks, they come in, they have to uh, navigate, and then they, they, they're parking on the, the only thing that seems to have any surface in here, which is the shell itself, while the rest of it appears to be empty. They park and are uh, they find that there is atmosphere inside of this object. And uh, there is actually, after they leave, it's, it's very white on the inside. Just seems to be infinitely white. And they park and there's atmosphere and they find their way to some steps that lead into the shell where they find Aram Taran or Aram Farron. It's unsure which. Aram explains they are in what he calls a looted vault which a vault is one of the strange artifacts of the Ascendancy. A place which, this particular place, if you know where it is, is only ever one jump away. Of Aram, he's sporting a clean white t-shirt with denim overalls, and is usually found behind the grill and the bar, which is in the center of the main room they find themselves in. There are alcoves immediately visible, and booths along the walls, with the bar and grill at the very center, uh, giving Aram a clear view of almost the entire place, except for what's happening inside the alcoves. Aram is thin, except for a rather distended belly, with eyes that are entirely black. The fact that he, the whites of his eyes have turned black is actually the sign and the side effect of being an adept. Adepts are the replacement for the forge-wide ban on artificial intelligence. He offers the crew refreshments, which 
food and drinks at the bodega are always free. And he inquires with Spike about the memory problems he's been having. He missed the doctor that had been arranged uh, for him to meet with. They discover a huge amount, the huge amount of space weed they'd been transporting was actually meant for Aram and the bodega. As payment, the crew acquires a small fraction of that giant pile, which is still a giant cache of base drugs. After leaving Aram, they decide to continue their journey to Dagobah, first having to retrace their, their flight from the bodega back through hyperspace, because you always have to leave the way you came. Accompanying them is Zari Soto, a lore hunter, an expert on, well, as much as one can be an expert on the Ascendancy. And they immediately start running into trouble from bounty hunters. The crew of the Nimbus run into, also run literally into a being in hyperspace. Uh, after they ran into it, it looked like a deflated balloon with shimmering transparent flesh with like white tendrils laced through it, uh, somehow reminding everyone of mushrooms. Solrock communicated with the creature using the presence and found that it is a sentient being, uh, a being that actually understands far more than it would seem it would be able to, and actually feeds off and controls neutrinos and axions, and lives both in regular space and also in this space. They realized that by running into it, they actually knocked its storage pouch empty, and they feed the creature, name it Rujoro, because uh, its name is unpronounceable, and Rojoro actually leads them the rest of the way to Dagobah, actually cutting the trip uh, down by like two-thirds. Dagobah from orbit appears to be an ocean world, but the water hides a secret. It is a world-sized vault. The crew approaches Dagobah, and a platform rises out of the water, and they're able to land and ascend into the vault. Fortunately for them, it appears that a path has been cleared for most of the way into the vault. They find it cleared up until they run into a Covenant soldier. The last Covenant soldier, still holding position, still holding on to hope, hoping that these fellows are here to help him. He describes the strange tiger-like beings that have been hunting and killing all of his companions, leaving only him left. Once he is of no further use for information, Jimmy rings, executes him with a shot to the head without even finding out his name. They're able to proceed forward, they loot the vault, and they find an object which seems to be calling to both Spike and Solrock. Unfortunately, the presence is unable to be felt here, and Nos is unreachable. But visions are had as they get the object, and Spike is called specifically Pretender. Eventually, the tiger beings arrive and pursue them. They chase them out, but they survive. They bring all this loot, including a large cache of Kuiper crystals, and they find a bit of Azoth, which are handheld weapons similar to a lightsaber, except for the fact that the blade doesn't end until you stop holding down the button. And instead of a light blade or plasma or whatever, it's actually a rend in space-time itself. It is a dangerous weapon that cannot be used on a ship. 
or a station, as it would just rip a hole in it and probably kill everyone. The group decides that they will use some of those Azos to re-equip their ship, along with taking the Kuiper Crystals and a few of them, Aram's crew is able to turn it into a shield for the ship. Aram has another quest for them, a fetch quest. Go rob the Mormon's mine. Of course, it wasn't a mine. It turns out the Mormon Federation is snatching up gates. Yes, those gates. The gates that allowed humanity to reach the forge. And they're stripping them down to their components. Black iron and Kuiper crystals. They follow the black iron to a to a nearby factory. The factory is building a prototype ship, an entire ship made of black iron. The crew of the Nimbus take out the factory, the prototype ship, and even the mine. And they go back to Mr. E. And that's the recap for sessions one through four, along with skipping over a massive amount of space drug use. This week's episode featured music by Tabletop Audio. To learn what happens, keep listening. This show is brought to you ad-free by Privilege. No ads, no Patreon, just a cishet white man with disposable income and time. It is performed, edited, and all that good stuff by Redstone Archender. The story is powered by the game Iron Sworn Starforged by Sean Tompkins. Outro by Glitter Snitchel, channeling the spirits. This has been a Sofa King Cool production. <laughs>